0: Praise the Lord. We'll go ahead and have a seat and get your Bible open, your notebook, your notepad, your digital device, whatever it is. And I'm going to talk to you tonight uh, about the antidote for fear. And uh, the problem that we're dealing with in and out of the church is that uh, fear is like a poisonous gas, and it's everywhere you go. It's poisoning every person, it's poisoning everything. The whole atmosphere around us is poisoned with fear. They say, well, what are your options? You're either walking around in faith or you're walking around in fear. Uh, When Adam and Eve were in the garden, how many know God set them up for great things and gave them everything they needed that pertained to life and godliness, everything they would ever need that pertained to their prosperity, Josephus said, and their well being. And they traded it in for sin. And when, of course, sin came, then, of course, came quickly fear right behind it. And so they were responsible for helping to poison the earth with a thing called fear. You and I, to the extent that we walk in faith, we keep that poisonous gas away from us. But it's everywhere. For example, when somebody doubts, they are afraid something's not going to happen. They won't come out and say that necessarily, but that's exactly what doubt is. So there are two choices. There are two spirits that can be about you, either the spirit of faith or the spirit of fear. And this, this particular thing called fear uh, is everywhere you go. Uh, you can make wise decisions about your health, wise decisions about road conditions, or you can let fear make those decisions for you. And it's important to understand that you can use wisdom without getting into fear. The wisdom of God and the faith of God are not mutually exclusive. It's not one or the other. In fact, you'll find out if you, want, if you won't walk in the wisdom of God, you can't walk in the faith of God. Fear is the only other option. So there are a lot of people that misunderstand it. Well, I guess I'll use my faith or I'll use wisdom here. No, you'll use both if you're going to prosper, amen, if you're going to succeed. see so, what I makes mean, both. Wisdom and it is, is faith. But fear is like a poisonous gas. It's everywhere. It poisons people's outlook. It poisons their perspective, their relationships. Uh, it poisons their performance. If you notice that this gas called fear, it actually poisons people's words. And it poisons their thoughts. And so it poisons their quality of life. And uh, if it was just a matter of dealing with some disease, you know, let's deal with the disease, let's smite the thing, let's move on in human history. The problem is what's going on right now is the spirit is far worse than the manifestation. And already receded. I mean, people are afraid of far more than just this disease. They're afraid of basically everything because in the process of dealing with it, They stepped out of faith and into fear. Well, the charge for us right now and the charge, I think, for many ministries around the country and around the world are to, you know, not just gently, but shove the body of Christ back into faith. Come out of fear. Amen. And walk around not with this poison gas dominating you because all you have to do is step into it. Just walk out into the world anywhere. It's everywhere. It's in the workplace, it's in the stores, amen, it's in the government buildings. Wherever you go, you're going to find this poison called fear. So what you want to have around you is a spirit of faith. And wherever you go, you carry not poison, but you carry the antidote for the poison. And that's what we want to talk about tonight. I want you to look over in John chapter 8. And you know this is the story when, uh, actually not John chapter 8, John chapter 11, if you would. This is a story where Jesus' good friend, Lazarus, has died, and he decides to delay his return, Um, you know, enforcing that this is not uh, unto death or destruction. This is ultimately unto the glory of God. And, you know, when Jesus comes, uh, first Martha says to him, you know, if you had been here, my brother would still be alive. Well, that's true, but if you're the resurrection in life, it doesn't matter if you come early or late. Because you're the what? You're the resurrection And you're the life. And, of course, later on in the story, you know, Mary says the same thing. You know, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And uh, we fast forward, and I'll just pick this up in verse 31. But Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Now, watch this. Where have you laid him, he asked. Now, before he even left to come back, he knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. So this isn't an issue of is God going to do it or not going to do it. He already knows that Lazarus is coming back to life. So what's he troubled about? If you're not careful, you'll interpret this through the eyes of human emotion instead of interpreting this through the wisdom of the Spirit of God. And come and see, Lord, they replied. And it says Jesus wept. And people jump on that and see there. He's a human being. He's having an emotional reaction. The question is, why is he weeping? Not is he weeping. Why is he weeping? And the answer to that question is, when he saw them weeping and he saw them crying and he saw this man dead, what Jesus saw was a picture of the result of the curse on this earth. The dimension and the depth of how badly this earth has been affected and how badly the people have been affected by the curse of, uh, of sin. And, and he sees this thing for what it is. Now, that doesn't mean he's not going to do something about it. He's coming to do something about it. I mean, you know, he came to redeem us from the curse. That's the sole purpose of why he came. He came in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to what? Might come to the Gentiles. You can't do that unless you deal with the curse on the earth. So he's seeing the full effect of this thing and that's what moves him. He's not moved because his buddy's dead. Because his buddy, according to him, what he told his disciples originally, he's asleep. Well, if he's asleep, Lord, that's good. He'll wake up. Then he tells them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Well, in his mind, everybody's just asleep because he's the resurrection, what? And the life. The reason I point this out to you is what you get is sin and then you get fear and then you get the manifestation of the curse. And you have to understand the reason we don't want to be poisoned with fear is because the curse and that poison travel hand in hand. You do not want to see the curse begin to creep back into your life. Look at somebody I say, curse, creep. The price has been paid for us to have the blessing. We don't want to see the curse creep back into our lives. You say, well, he died for me. I'm redeemed from the curse, blah, blah, blah. That's great. But if you open up the door to this stuff, if you agree with this stuff, it'll creep back into your life. You don't have the full dimension of glorification yet. And until you do, the curse can creep. Let me put it to you another way. Raise your hand if after you got saved and spirit filled you committed a sin. Somebody shot your hands up quickly and then shot them back down very very quickly as well. That's a that is a dimension of curse creep. Under the blessing eternally, guess what? There'll be a day when you won't be sinning anymore. Now there are some you know theological persuasions that believe that once you get spirit filled, once you're born again. Um, you know, you don't sin anymore, but you and I know that that's erroneous. Yes. Now, you should be sinning less, and you don't have to sin, but you're not fully sanctified just because you got born again. Sanctification, the progressive removal of sin from your life and, and adherence to and attaching yourself to God and his, his goodness, that's a process that happens in this earth. Aren't you glad it's a process? So you're not nearly as ugly as you used to be, but you haven't arrived yet. Does that make sense? So if I don't stand in faith, if I don't stay in the word of God, then the curse creep manifested by sin can come back in and begin to dominate and every other dimension of the curse that comes with sin. So what you have to do is make up your mind that, you know, you're not going to put your guard down and allow this poison back in your life. And that's my greatest concern during COVID thousands of Christians have allowed the fear to creep back in and guess what comes with the fear whatever's whatever bag the, you know fear is carrying that's what's going to come back in and what the what uh, fear is carrying in the bag is the curse and you and I should be done with this we should be tired of this stuff uh, but the devil has used this to to pigeonhole people and nail them and they've made up their minds that they are gonna, they're going to follow whatever their feelings tell them. They're going to follow their fear. They're going to follow you know, their emotions instead of following what the Word of God says. And that's the danger here. You know, when you, you live this out long enough, you, you're tired of the curse. You don't want it anymore. Amen? You see what fear has produced, and you don't want that anymore. Uh, we also have been in this long enough to see what faith will produce. If fear produces the curse, what does faith produce? The blessing God's empowerment and his goodness in every area of your life so the normal state for the human being is to live in a poisoned environment you know until you got born again you lived in a poisoned environment let me put it to you another way until you got born again you were a poisoned environment yes, and you helped to poison other people now we're not supposed to be poisoning people with fear and unbelief and doubt and the curse. We're supposed to be what? Blessing people. In fact, Peter says this, you know, to bless to that which is what we were called to do, is to bless people. How can we bless people if we're walking around in fear? We're part of the problem if we're in fear. So the bottom line is the normal state for the human being is to live in a poisoned environment. The only remedy is to take the antidote regularly. So if you stop taking antidote in your life, this is going to creep back in your life. Now, there'll be a day when uh, we're in that perfected state. We're just not there yet. Until then, we're going to have to stand in faith. We're going to have to stay in the things of God. An antidote is simply a medicine taken to counteract a particular poison. The poison in this case is called what? It's called fear. And the antidote, of course, the medicine is the word of God. And this medicine needs to be taken in copious amounts every single day of your life. And if you have been negligent in this, uh, if you've not been taken in the Word of God, that fear is going to begin to creep back into your life and bring whatever fear has, you know, with it. It's a it's a process, and that's why uh, we talk about the need for us to to be being filled with the Spirit of God to keep our minds renewed. Say this me, my mind doesn't stay renewed. Any more than my hair stays combed. Now, how long does your hair stay, stay combed? Not very long. Your mind works the same way. So you can't be this, uh, well, one and done. I did this years for years and years and years, and now I can just coast. No, because when you stop doing that, you're going to begin to see that the medicine's wearing off, and the poison is taking hold again. It is the antidote for the poison called uh, fear. Listen to this from Proverbs 3, this in the Jubilee translation. My son, attend to my words, incline thine ear unto my words. Do you hear this language here, attend to my words? Uh, Incline your ear means what? You're going to bend your ear in the direction of what? Towards the word and away from those things that contradict the word of God. Let them not depart from thine eyes, keep them in the midst of thine heart. So we're going to keep them in front of our eyes, aren't we, church? So now we're talking about keeping them in front of our ears keeping the word in front of our eyes, and keeping it in our heart, for they are life unto those that find them, and according to the Jubilee, and medicine to all their flesh. Your translation may say health, but that word in the Hebrew literally means what? Medicine. Say it with me, the word of God is medicine to my entire flesh. It means that the word of God is medicine to your emotions, and medicine to your mind. And medicine to your body. And medicine to everything that pertains to you in terms of this life. So the antidote is the word of God because the word of God is medicine. You say, why is that true? Well, we know this scripture. It's true because faith comes by hearing. And hearing by what? By the word of God. Does faith come any other way? Religion says faith comes by trials and tribulations. And faith comes from heartache. And faith comes from this. And faith comes from that you got to stop you know, taking the definition from religion and go back to the Word of God. Faith comes. It always comes. Say it with me. It always comes if we are hearing. Now, faith comes by hearing, and then faith is stirred and developed and promoted and built up and edified as we pray in the Holy Ghost. But the way that we get our faith, right, it's given to us as a metron when you're born again. To every man is given the... Measure or metron of faith, but not everybody develops it. This idea that they got an Oral Roberts dose and they got just a little dose—that's erroneous teaching. It's just that he took his metron and did what with it? He grew it. He developed it. Jim was telling me he was listening to uh, to uh, you know Oral Roberts uh, message by Richard Roberts. He was telling Oral Roberts stories about how he got into the ministry and. Uh, when he was pastoring about 70 people, the Lord began to talk to him about a healing ministry. So he pulled off and he said to Evelyn, don't cook me any meals. I'm going to pray. I'm going to fast. And ask the Lord what he wants for me and for you. And that's when he came out of that fast, the Lord said, I've anointed you, you know, to heal the people. My people, I want my people healed and want them well. And so he said, okay. And he threw out some fleeces there. And then before you judge him, you've done the same thing from time to time. He just didn't want to miss God. So the first thing he said, well, if I do this, you know, what I want to do is I want to have a healing meeting, and I want to have, you know, no less than a thousand people there in that meeting, and I want to be able to have an offering where everything is paid at that meeting by that one offering, and I want to see miracles happen in that meeting. And how uh, many understand if God's ordained him to be in a healing ministry, he's going to be in a healing ministry. Yeah. And so he uh, advertised that they got a venue that would hold that many people, and he drives up to the back of that building, and the security guard says you're old. Robert says yes, and and he goes, well, he goes, uh, you're you're one that believe in God for, for over a 1,000 people, right? He said, well, I, I've done the head count, and it's over over occupancy right now before you even went in there. He took up the offering before the service, and he said, we're not having the service until we count the offering. We're going to see if, if this is going to have, is going to pay for everything. And it was $3 over the budget. And uh, that day, miracles just broke out. This lady had a shriveled hand, couldn't use it. As soon as he prayed for her, it popped open. And there were seven ladies in his church, all with backslidden men or men that weren't saved. And when they saw the miracles of God, all seven of those men went up to him and said, Would you please lead us to Jesus? It was on at that point in time. Everybody say faith, Faith. not fear. Uh, It's important you understand that uh, that's the key. There are no other options for you and for me. We're either living by faith, and that's what's coming from us, or we've been poisoned, and that's what we have. We talked about this as an infection. You, you, if you have the chickenpox, you're not going to give somebody the measles. Amen. You're going to infect somebody with what you actually have. So I'll say it again. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word. The word's medicine. Amen. Medicine. I know mean, though when a doctor gives you a prescription, it takes a while for that medicine to get up to a certain level to where it's effective in your body. That's true with lots of different kinds of medicines. Uh, but that's just basically the, the, the way it works. If the Word of God is similar. You go and read a scripture one day and then go back to your fear ways. That's not going to help you any. But day by day, you're staying in the Word more and more and more and the Word speaks to you because it's always talking. Let me put it to you this way. The word that's talking to you is the word that's producing for you. Yeah. If it's not talking to you, it's not producing for you. So what you want to do is take it in enough so it actually talks. I don't mean 15,000 chapters. I mean enough that you're actually hearing the Spirit of God talk to you through the Scriptures. Because that's how faith is actually developed. John said it this way in 1 John chapter 4. For everyone, verse 4 of chapter 4, everyone born of God overcomes the world. How many? If you're really born of God, you're gonna overcome. That's who you are. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our what? Our faith. What's the way you overcome the world? What's the spirit in the world right now? Fear. If you don't believe that, just you know, see what's going on in the world. I mean, from what China's doing, you know, to what the Russians are doing in Ukraine, you know, to what our president's not doing, to what this person's going through and how they're handling this. And I mean, it's just crazy out there. I mean. I mean, we are, we are in times that can only be described by as nuts. And, and we can't be part of that. But what's doing all that is a spirit of fear. If you will look at any activity and anybody with, you know, that's doing anything in this world that seems to be unChristlike like or, or destructive, you'll see fear in operation. Why are they doing that? Because they are afraid. We don't have to be afraid. We just need to petition God. Standing in faith. We have not because we ask not. We don't have to get into fear like everybody else. I mean, this world is crazy. Amen. Turn to somebody and tell them the world's crazy. Jesus is not. Amen. Say, everyone born of God, this is the victory that overcomes the world even our faith even our believing God that's how we do this so what happens when you have the medicine of the Word of God in your system I'm talking about for a day or two but over the course of days and weeks and months and years what begins to happen is there's a saturation effect and the first thing that you're going to have is more expectation the higher that level is the higher your expectation is going to be not for evil not for wickedness but for good for miracles for signs for wonders for breakthrough You know, for things you've been believing God for a long time, more expectation. That's a good thing. That's a fancy way of saying is your hope's going to be at an all-time high. We need our hope at an all-time high. This nation needs for the Christians to be walking around in hope because so many people are what? Hopeless because they're tying their hope to natural things and circumstances. You know you can't be filled with hope and fear at the same time. No. But you know that faith and hope work together. Faith is being sure of what we hope for. It's impossible to have fear and hope at the same time, but faith and hope are actually connected. Number two, more excitement. The more saturation you have, the more excitement you're going to have. One of the, my favorite Kenneth Hagin quotes is when he told the students at Rain one time, he said, he's, and they're all in this particular class, they were all gentlemen. He said, gentlemen, it's the word that you're excited that's working for you. The word that you're excited about that's working for you. Say that with me. It's the word I'm excited about that's working for me. And I've seen this time and time and time again. It's the things that we're excited about we're going to see manifest in our lives. So we don't care about miracles, don't worry about it. You won't see anything. Amen. Somebody says, well, I don't believe in that speaking in tongues. Don't worry about it. You won't. But how dare you think you can tell me not to? I mean, you'd be amazed how many mainline secessionist denominational churches, instead of just, you know, living and let live, will actually publicly decry this stuff and oppose this stuff and preach against this. There's always one church in every community that's well known for preaching against the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Well, that's not going to stop me. Look at somebody and tell me it's not going to stop me. Why? I'm going to take advantage of everything he has given me. I'm going to enjoy what he has given me. And the more I hear about the things of the Spirit, the more I heard about them as just a baby, baby Christian, the more excited I got. I said, you know what, I want that. But according to some of the experts, these things just don't exist anymore. Paul, we were talking about the other day, a very famous secessionist in this country who makes fun of people of faith and makes fun of people that preach the word without compromise and makes fun of the things of the Spirit. That's okay. Now, you're getting dangerously close to blasphemy when you're doing that, But that's not going to stop me from enjoying the benefits of the Word of God. Let me tell you something. We need more tongue talkers right now than we have ever needed in this nation, if for nothing else, to intercede for all the nuts out there and to make up for the believers who won't receive these things in a time like this. I mean, I don't know about you, but sometimes you just don't know how to pray for people. Amen? Yes, we have people in the body of Christ that are rootless and fruitless and clueless. How do you pray for them? It seems like they never seem to get, you know, that lesson about being grounded and established and stable. And so what do you do with them? Just pray in the Holy Ghost over them. What else can you do? Number three, more understanding. The higher your level of the medicine is, the more of the medicine of God you take, the more understanding you're going to have. You're going to understand the things of God. You're going to understand the nature of God. Isn't it a wonderful thing to finally understand that God is good? And no compromise on that. He's not against you. He is for you. He's done nothing to you and never will do anything to you but good. He's not the one that introduced sin and destruction in the garden. He's not the one behind famine and disease and lack. It has nothing to do with that. Write this down. If you ever want to know how to find out the perfect will of God, you can see it in three places. Say it with me. Three places. How many? Three. How many? Three. three. And you'll find that all three of these will always agree with each other. Now, if you go to religion, somebody's theology book, you what the talking head on the, on the news report said, or some funeral somewhere, you're not going to get that. But if you want to know what God's perfect will is, you can look in three places. One is always look in the word of God. God's word and his will are one. If he said, I want you to have abundant life, then guess what? That's what it means. That's the will of God. Now, whether you have it or not, it's based on you and what you do. You'll work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Amen. But that's what it says. If the word says there's no other name, amen, under heaven, given to men by which we must be saved, guess what? That's it. That's, it. that's the will of God. It's the will of God that people be saved by calling on the name of Jesus. In the story. That is it. That's the will of God. Number two, if you want to know what the will of God is, look at the look what's going on in heaven right now. Is there any sin in heaven? You know the will of God is not sin. Is there any sickness in heaven? No, you know the will of God is wholeness. Is there any poverty in heaven? Is there any war in heaven? Is there any disease in heaven? No, if you look in the Word and you look in heaven, you'll find out that's a reflection of the perfect Will of God. And when sin showed up in heaven, what did God do? He what? He kicked it out. That's a good message for you and for me. When sin tries to show up in our house, kick it out. Turn to somebody and tell them, kick it out. So if you want to know God's perfect will and you don't want to pay attention to religion and and fear and all that nonsense, you want to have understanding of God's nature. Look in heaven, amen, what the word describes heaven as, and look in the word of God. And number three, look in the garden before the fall. Before the fall, that's the will of God. After the will of God is the result of the will of man influenced by the evil one. With the exception of God's plan prophetically to bring the seed of Abraham into this earth to what? To die for the sins of mankind and to redeem us from the curse. If you look on the other side of Genesis 3, you're seeing things that are not the will of God. And look at that. Look how closely they enter into fear after sin and then saturate themselves in things that are not the will of God. If you want to know the perfect will of God, look in the garden. There was no lack, there was no sin. There was no disease, there was no war, there was no poverty. They had everything they needed in abundance. And it wasn't until they compromised on the word of God that all these things came in. So somebody says that God allows this and God allowed that. No, the human creation allowed this and allowed that. Our men, our ancestors. Yes, you're all related to Adam and of You all realize that, right? I mean, I, sometimes I just feel sorry for people. I can't get too mad at them. Like Whoopi Goldberg the other day says that, uh, that the Holocaust was not, about, was not a racial thing. And I just, I just stop and I go, you know, the first thing I thought about was that scripture in Proverbs. says even the fools thought wise if they closed their mouth. Because she saw a white dude Hitler, you know, killing what it looked like to her white people. Can I help you with this, okay? You all ready for this? Like all the other descendants of Shem, Jews are Semites, but so are Arabs. And Jews and Arabs are traditionally and historically bronze colored. So she had just paid attention to Sunday school lesson. she wouldn't have said something so preposterous and felt the wrath of the Jewish Anti-Defamation League. Of course it was and is a race of people, blessed of God, and something Hitler wanted to destroy. Specifically targeted that because he considered them to be an inferior race. Now what many of you may not know is that what set him off in the direction that he went was the death of his mother. And his mother's physician happened to be a prominent Jewish physician. A lot of things in this earth can be boiled down to outright bitterness and anger and hatred. And I believe right there is where The seed was sown for his hatred for the Jew. Even though he took care of her all that time, even though he had great friends and and colleagues and schoolmates and business interactions with people that were Jewish and and friends of his, boy, something happened in his heart and in his mind. You know, so you just can't, uh, sometimes you just can't undo stupid, I mean. uh, But this is what you get. And the irony is, Her real name is not Goldberg. She chose that name. She picked a Jewish name on top of it all. I'm telling you, if you're going to watch or read anything, you're going to have to pray in the Holy Ghost or your head's just going to explode. I mean, I'm telling you, these people are just crazy out there. It wasn't a racial thing. Well, fine. You know, tell that to those families that were destroyed and those nations that were destroyed because of what happened. Devil's not done with that. Well, the more you raise your level of the medicine in your life, the more understanding you're going to have. And you're going to get to the point where somebody's not going to be able to talk you out of the goodness of God. At some point in time, and the the level gets high enough, uh, you can't go back. You're like Peter. When Jesus says, are y'all going to leave me too? He said, where shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. When the, le- when the medicine level gets so high, you just cross a line and there's nothing back over here for you. If nobody else goes with you. Does that make sense? If everybody else flakes out, if everybody else gives in to fear, if no one follows through, if they don't reach their destiny, you cross the line. How did it happen? Because the medicine level is so high, it causes you to live at a different level and in a different way. The expectation, excitement, understanding, more peace. When that level of medicine gets to a certain level, you're going to have more peace than you ever had in your life, and you're going to value peace yes. in your heart yes. and in your home, and you're not going to put up with strife. People want to live that way. You love them, whatever, but you love them from afar. Come in your house, stirring things up, well, you just show them the back door, amen, and you say... Shouldn't all Christians have peace in life? If Christians are born again, but they are not taking their medicine. Have you ever said this to somebody when they're just really acting goofy and you say, go just go take a pill. That's what you need to say to these people. They need a gospel pill. Amen. They need to go take their medicine because they're walking in strife. Hey, I don't care who you are. You find somebody in strife, walking out of love, causing division, they're not taking their medicine. There is no way someone operating in strife is taking their medicine. Amen. And you'll find out that a lot of people have a bigger hunger and desire for the things of this world than they do for the the medicine of God, for the things of God. And so they'll wrap their decisions up and find sounding language about the Lord leading them and telling them to go here and leading them there, whatever the case may be. But it's not. It's the flesh actually leading and guiding. Amen. When you get... To a certain level in the word, you don't want to live like that anymore. You want all that God has for you, peace. Now, not only is that tranquility of of heart and mind that's, that's produced as a result of a right relationship with God, the consciousness, you might want to write that down, it's the consciousness of a right relationship with God. There are people in this town that if, in the scheme of things, their good works outweigh their bad works, they might get into heaven. That's not who we are. We're not saved by our works. We work because we're saved. We have the consciousness of a right standing with God. Not that we've arrived, but we're a forgiven people, aren't we, church? Amen. And that, that consciousness is where we have peace of mind, peace of heart, and tranquility, even if things are crazy out there. But we also have a thing called shalom operating in our lives. Amen. Nothing missing, nothing broken. How many like to see this year thing more things that have been broken, repaired and fixed? Amen. How many like to see more things that have been missing appear and manifest? Yes, that's directly tied to your level of medicine. Amen. Amen. I mean, I can preach on this, and Wilma can preach on faith, and we can deal with this all year long. But until you decide you're going to personally raise your level of medicine, that's what's restricting your shalom. Let me say it again. You are determining your own outcomes by what you do with the Word of God. When you get really hungry and thirsty for the Word of God, you start seeing God pouring on all kinds of blessings, all kinds of good things. Shalom. Nothing missing. Nothing broken. Amen. Whatever you need. I've told a few people in the past couple weeks when I sat here, and Kelly remember this, and Brother Darrell was our pastor when I was in college, he used to define grace as what you need when you need it. The favor of God, therefore, is what you need when you need it, and you're going to have more and more of that when your word level is high. Amen? If that medicine level doesn't get to a certain saturation point, it doesn't work like it's supposed to. Does that make sense? I mean, if the doctor gave you an antibiotic and you took it once every 10 days, and then you go back six months later and you still have the problems, what is he going to say? Have you been taking your medicine correctly? Well, yes. Well, then tell me how you've been taking it. Because the bottle says this, you know, uh, two capsules daily, whatever. Tell me how you did it. Well, I took one capsule every 10 days. Well, no wonder you're not getting any results from it. They're Christians the same way. Amen. Amen. They treat the things of God as if it's, it's religious, if it's ritual, if it's a duty, and they don't have a revelation about the efficacy and the power of the Word of God itself. Look at somebody and say, it's about what you do with the Word. I know I you, but I'd like to see more things fixed. Amen? More things that have been missing appear. Number five, more joy. There is no Christian more joyful than the one with a high Word level. More peace. Amen. Um, you can always tell somebody's a faith person because they're bouncing off the wall, even if nothing has manifested yet. Amen. They're the one that's excited and filled with joy. Why? Joy unspeakable and full of glory. Not because they have seen everything, but what? Their word level's high. Amen. When your level of the Word is that high, it's going to produce great joy in you every single time. Amen. And the joy of the Lord, the Bible says, is our strength. But how do we get the joy of the Lord? Taking our medicine. Taking our medicine. Um, There's nothing more powerful than the declarations of God over your life, what the Word says, uh, to make you joyful. And it freaks some people out because they assume that you ought to be miserable because you haven't seen something manifest in some time, so you should be down in the mouth, you know, and just full of it. And there are other people that believe God, nothing works out for them, and then they, they, they begin to turn. I had somebody <laughs> tell me one time that went to this church for quite a while, and they said, well, I've been here a while, and I haven't seen anybody get prospered. And I'm like, well, you haven't been looking very closely, have you? <laughs> Amen. Now what I hear is you're a little bitter person because you haven't been getting breakthroughs in your own life. But I can give you half a dozen examples off the top of my head of somebody who had been thoroughly blessed because they did what? Or maybe you just played with it. Or maybe when I was preaching or somebody else was teaching the uncompromised Word of God, you know, you were grumbling underneath your breath. or You weren't receiving that Word planted in you that can cause soundness in your life. Then I see other people just take the Word of God and run with it. I mean, and, and it makes the rest of us look silly because we're getting so much results. If, we're, if they're getting results, and we're not, it's not their fault. What are they doing? Instead of saying yeah, this stuff doesn't work, what are you doing that you're getting it to work? Be teachable, amen? And one of the things they all have in common is they're walking around in joy because their word level is high. Even if everything in the natural right now looks counter to the word that you're trusting that word level gets you what? It gets you high. Amen? In a good way. Glory to God. Anybody here ever been drunk on the Holy Ghost? Yeah. Yeah. Raise your hand up high if you've ever been drunk on the Holy Ghost. Okay. And you that raise your hands, you ever been drunk with natural spirits? Okay. How did it compare? And no hangover the next day. You just. Amen. So some of you have a Ph.D. in that department. <laughs> Say, more joy. more joy. Number six, more power. You're going to walk and live and operate in more authority, more power. Why? Faith comes by hearing. You're going to, You're going to decree things, and guess what's going to happen? They're going to manifest. Your things are going to come out of your spirit, and you're going to see them happen. You're going to see power in you and power through you because of your word level, the antidote for fear. But you know, fear rob you of all these things. You take a person who's got the spirit of fear, there's no expectation, there's no excitement there, there's no understanding, there's no peace, there's certainly no joy, and there's not enough power to lift a little finger. Amen? Fear strips all that from you. Last, number seven, more results. Results in what? Whatever it is you're believing God for. You're not going to get it with fear. Make sure your medicine level is high so that fear, amen, is abated and the people around you are being influenced by what's on you and what's, what's in you. So I want to spend just a couple minutes telling you uh, how to take God's medicine. I'm going to beat fear every time. Raise your hand if you want to beat fear every time. Uh, don't take a vacation from the word. Don't give fear a chance to move back in You know, after you kicked it out of your life by, by negligence or by sloth or whatever the case may be. And don't say things like, well, when I start feeling better, I'll get back into the Word. You do it anyway. Yep. Amazing people say, I don't feel like going to church, I don't feel like praying, I don't feel like reading the Word. They always feel like eating. And even if they don't, what do they do? They eat. Uh, it's not based on whether you feel like it. You realize what's happening here is it's benefiting you in, in a great way. I want you to go to Psalm uh, chapter 1 for a moment. Turn to somebody and say, take your medicine. The cure for the poison, the fear, is the word. The word is the antidote. Listen carefully, it's the only antidote. Some of you tried religion on, guess what, that didn't work. You know what religion is? Religion is nothing but the other side of the coin from the world. They're of the same spirit. I'm going to read this to you from the ESV. Blessed is the man, empowered to prosper is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Uh, that's what the wicked thinks. Or stands in the way of the sinners. This is the way that they live, the way they operate. Nor sits in the seat of scoffers. I mean, you know, people can laugh all they want to, but the word is true. But his delight, an underlying circle, highlight that word. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Why does he meditate day and night? Because he delights in it. What you delight in, you spend time in. If you delight in a certain thing, you will spend time. You'll feel like time flies. A big part it's limiting us in terms of beating fear and getting to the right level of God's medicine in our lives, is we don't have that level of delight. We have delight for everything else. And, uh, you know, if you yield to one kind of appetite, it will suppress other kinds of appetites. And too much emphasis and focus and participation of things this world has to offer, and you won't have much of an appetite left for the word, let alone delight in it. But notice this character. It just doesn't say that he reads the word. He what? I, I want the Holy Ghost to, to to thoroughly pound this in your spirit tonight. The difference here. The, you know, lots of people are, are say they're not walking in the counsel of the wicked, or not necessarily standing in the way of sinners and in the seat of, of scoffers, and they're born again, even spirit-filled, but they don't delight in the word. How come that person's getting all these results? They delight. In the Word. Not just I go to church and I hear the sermon, praise the Lord, you know, amen, pass the bucket. But they what? They delight in it. And because they delight in that, they're meditating day and night. Well, look at the immediate results of the person that delights. I want you to get this. This is not the person who's born again, spirit filled, goes to church. This is the person who delights in the Word. Listen, when you read the Psalms, don't you get the idea that David delighted in God's presence and delighted in God's Word? He wasn't just, okay, I'm a Christian and maybe I'm going to be something when I grow up. No. He delighted in the Word. Remember Josiah's reaction when the Word of God was found, discovered, and read? What was that response? Oh, just shove it back in the pillar. We don't we don't need that. The response indicated, you know what, we've not been doing this, and from now on we're going to delight in this. People that that delight in the word, they're the ones getting all the results. Well, I'm spirit filled, I'm saved, I go to a word church, I should be getting results. Not not if you're not delighting in the word. And it's not the church's fault. It certainly isn't the Lord's fault. It's not the Word's fault. It's not the pastor's fault. Listen, I do a 30-part series on something. You ought to be delighting in something. But I can't control if you're not delighting in it. Some folks delight when I stop. Amen. Saw that meme riding on Facebook tonight? When the pastor sees his shadow, it means six more weeks on that particular... (laughs) Sermon series. So I want to announce to you tonight, I saw my shadow. There you go. Amen. At least six more weeks. But it didn't if I do one or 50 if you don't delight in it. I'm telling you what the antidote to fear is and everything the fear will produce through the curse and how to raise your word level. And tell you that the ones that are raising their word level and getting their results are the ones that delight in the word. I have no control whether you're going to delight and then do what people who delight in the word do. What do people that delight in the word do? Meditate, Meditate on it day and night. Now notice it doesn't say Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. And according to Barner, for the average Christian in America, every third Sunday. Is that going to work? Is, is somebody who goes to the house of God every third or fourth week in America, do they delight in the word? There's no way. There's no way. I think about people that do uh, you know, delight in the word. You can, you can see them, at something like in the Believers Convention where lots of those folks will take their vacation time and they'll sit there all day long. Two morning sessions, two afternoon sessions, night sessions, day after day. After, why would they do that? And they they get made fun of by relatives and coworkers. You mean you and here's how they say it. You use your vacation time to go to church for six days in a row all day long. And they'll crinkle that noise and that fate. Why? They can't comprehend that somebody would what? And people, and those of you who take advantage of ministries and what God is doing, that are preaching the Word, operating the Spirit of God, people can't understand why you would do something like that, why you would come faithfully. I mean, the ice apocalypse is about to hit, and you're in church tonight. How could you possibly do that, you crazy people? It might even be 37 degrees when you go home. Whoo! And if I'm insulting you, Be insulted we got the ice apocalypse going on, and yet you delight. I would say in America right now, in evangelical churches, the crowd crowd that's closest to delighting in the word are people like Jens. Amen. You guys. (laughs) You all, however you say it. So it's not the born again. It's not the spirit filled. It's not the church member, it's not the church attender that's getting the results. I scratched my head just like you for years until I started noticing that everybody I saw walking in power and victory and getting results were people who delighted in the Word of God. Blesses my heart to go to minister's conference and see Brother Copeland sitting on the front row at his age, reading the Word of God, taking notes like he doesn't know anything been walking in this for decades uh, Matt Cannon was one of the speakers he pastors in Minneapolis and um, he always has a great uh, great message and he, he kicked off that, that uh, you know that particular session he was talking about Christ and you the hope of glory you know how, y'all hear a message on glorification anytime in this church <laughs> And he was sharing some of the same things about you know we pray for the sick and we lay hands on whatever, but but do it with a consciousness that what it's Christ in you. That power, that glory is not just out there. It's where, it's in us. And so he gets up there the next morning and he's just bragging on what Max said and said. You know what I've been laying hands on people for years. I used to lay hands on people when I was with a brother or Roberts in his Crusades. And he's talking about the, you know, the, the new emphasis he has in Revelation. He's talking about the revelation he got as an 85, 86-year-old man, I guess, something like that, from Matt Cameron in a morning session. Now, that's someone who delights in the Word. If you want to criticize him, don't do it around me. Because I'll tell you one thing, he gets results because he delights in the Word of God. Turn to somebody and say, I'm going to delight in the Word of God. Say, I'm going to delight in the Word of God. That's great. I'm not doing what they're doing. I'm not living like they're living. I don't drink. I don't cuss. I don't go out with girls that do. I don't chew. I don't do all that stuff, Pastor. I'm not living like that. That's great. But, but that's the far cry from do you delight. If you're going to claim this scripture, make sure you line up with every part of it. Delighting in. Look what happens if you do. He's like a tree planted by streams of water. There is stability there. There is nourishment there that yields its fruit in season. The person is bearing fruit. A leaf doesn't wither. They have stamina. Amen. They have longevity. Hallelujah. Bless him what he does. He prospers. That person has success in their life. What kind of person? What kind of person is stable? What kind of person is well-nourished? What kind of person, amen, is bearing fruit? What kind of person has stability and longevity? What kind of person has success? The one that delights. Delights in the Word of God. This is your first principle tonight. How to take God's medicine and how to beat fear every time you delight in the Word of God. Write this down. Here's what delight means. It means to derive the greatest pleasure and fulfillment from. There is no one in this room can tell you what you derive your greatest pleasure from. If you derive your pleasure from anything higher than the word of God, you've got your answer. I'm not seeing Psalm 1 results, Pastor. How come? When you delight, you derive your greatest pleasure from that. When I look at David and listen to what he says and imagine him putting words and music to his psalms, I'm seeing somebody that delights in the word. No, No question about that. Whenever I see somebody rootless and fruitless and clueless, I know they don't delight in the word. They can wrap it up in all kinds of religious jargon all they want to. But when they don't have stability, they don't have fruit, they don't have understanding of the things we talked about earlier, then I know that they're not delighting. It seems like in, in, you know, every so often I've watched this over the years and years and years that the devil will you know, decide to do a lottery and he'll put all the names of a church you know, in, that, in that thing and then he'll pick somebody out and go after them. And try to bear down on their mind to get them to unplug, to flake out, to pull out of their position, out of their role, out of their anointing. And I've watched this through the years and it seems random at the same time. You know, the devil knows what works on us. You need to be the blind, no matter what the devil tries to do to you, you're not biting. Amen? He may pick me out, you know, if, uh, you know, out of the bin like a bingo ball, but guess what? I'm not responding to that. Because I'm what? I'm established. I'm fixed in the things of God. Look at somebody and say, be planted. Why would the devil do that? I'll tell you why the devil does that. Because every time the devil plucks somebody, every time the devil gets, every time somebody is is, is picked out through his lottery, he does this, it causes destabilization among the relationships with that person. Destabilization in the church. It causes a draining of resources and it causes discouragement to leadership all over the nation all because the devil decided to pluck you out and you weren't grounded enough to resist it. I mean, some people literally used to tease Kelly about this all the time, you know, and how many understand that uh, you and I have had our minds renewed over the years and we're just not what we used to be. But just because the devil calls you a rhinoceros, does that make you one? But you'd be amazed how many Christians can hear something from the devil and just instantly, because they heard it from somewhere, that must be God, you know when you have a high level of the Word of God in your life, lots of medicine, boy, it tunes you into what's true and what's not. The Word of God, the Bible says, it gives you understanding, but it also gives you discernment between what? good and evil. Now, I don't know what your problem is, Mister Devil, but I'm not buying that. I'm not. I'm not who I was. You know, I'm not that little baby Christian anymore. Those things aren't going to work on me anymore. Amen. Say it with me. I'm not fruitless. I'm not rootless. I'm not clueless. Number two, discern the word. Not just delight in the word, but discern it. This means revelation. In John 8, the Bible says, Jesus said to those that believed him, the Pharisees, that basically believing was not enough. Turn this and put it in front of your eyes again in John 8. Aren't we glad that they believed on him? Yes. But that wasn't the end. Verse 31, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my what? Teachings, then you're my disciples. If you what? Delight in what I say, then you will know the truth, and the truth will what? So can you see that if I delight, there's going to be revelation that comes? And a real disciple is someone who's going to be walking in revelation. But you know, you can't say you're a disciple just because you got saved one day. Write this down: a disciple is a self-disciplined learner of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when you're Elijah and you turn around, and Elisha's still there and he won't leave you alone. Do you know that? Uh, and he tried, to, of course, you know, push him off of him, but how do you know Elisha stayed with him? Why? Uh, when Jesus preached on his body and blood and thousands left him, did Jesus go after any of them? People will use this Jesus left in 99 as justification to use the one who's just offended over the word. You do not treat somebody the same that's offended over the word as someone who's out there in trouble in the pit. You notice when the prodigal was in the pit and in trouble, uh, the father didn't go out looking for him in the pit. The Father was where? Looking down the road. People will misconstrue, misapply that scripture to people who are offended and voluntarily turn their back on the things of God. Jesus didn't go after him and say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I won't preach that anymore. I won't preach that anymore. Come back. Come back to church. Come back to the house of God. You know, Come back to the hill and let me preach the rest of this message. You don't see him doing that. You don't see the men of God, period, doing that. In fact, Paul said of all the people that were with him, They all forsook him. Could you imagine? You're going through all that he's going through, and he can't depend on anybody. And then he comes and he finds out that Timothy's about to crash as well. (laughs) Huh? Yeah. You need to discern the word. That means revelation. When Jesus said, "Who'd have been say that I am?" What did Peter say? You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And how did Jesus respond? Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonas, because flesh and blood. Say it, flesh and blood. Say it to you, flesh and blood. Say, it to, you, and blood. Say it to you, flesh and blood. You're not going to get deliverance and walk in the best God has for you because you're impressed with flesh and blood in the pulpit or flesh and blood in the classroom. You're not going to get revelation from somebody's mind or their eloquence. You're gonna get it by revelation of the word of God. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but what? But my Father in heaven. And then went on to say, upon this rock, not Peter, upon the rock of revelation knowledge, first that I am the Christ, but everything that pertains to the Word, I will build my church. Uh, there are a lot of people who don't delight in the Word and they don't discern it. Yet. Well, this stuff, this faith stuff doesn't work. You know, I tried that. I believe God. You know, I tithed for two weeks and nothing changed. Right? And you really hung in there, didn't you? Why'd you tithe? Because you're just kind of testing something or because you had conviction and revelation about it? Huh? Yeah. He said, I will build my church. Write this down no revelation, there'll be no anticipation. Well, one day I'll die and go to heaven. That's about the extent of my anticipation. Well, there's, that's great. We're glad for that and praise the Lord for it, but there's more for you to walk in in this life. No revelation, there'll be no anticipation in your life. Delighting in the Word, meditating in the Word, and then discerning the Word. Number three, decree in the Word. That means whatever revelation you have, You talk about it. Psalm 107, verse 1 and 2. Let the redeemed of the Lord. You know uh, one translation says? Let the redeemed of the Lord speak up. (laughs) Speak up. What were they supposed to say? Verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say this. We should be giving him thanks. We should be saying he is what? He is good. We can. We have been delighting in the word and we don't have discernment of what's going, what the word means. We're not going to say God is good. It's impossible. But we decree what the word says and that his mercy endures forever. His mercies are new every morning. Mercy is God's designed power to alleviate the distress that you and I cause because of our own error and judgment or the error of other people. And that's why we can say with boldness, Job twenty-two twenty-eight. you shall decree a thing and answer shall what? It shall come to pass because you delight in the word, you discern the word, and you decree the word. He goes on in Psalm 107 to talk about there are four kinds of people that when they dawned on them, they would cry out to God, He would help them. The first category, some were in the desert. They were in dry places, but they cried out to God, and did God have mercy on them? Yeah, in verse 4. In verse 10, some were in darkness. Verse 10, held in bondage because of their error. Did He cry out to God? Yes, he alleviated them from their distress. Why? Because he's a merciful God. The next group, these folks, some were were in dumbness. Verse 17, the Bible called them fools. Yeah. But even they woke up, came alive, came to their senses, and, and cried out to him, and he had mercy on them. The last category, some were in the depths of the sea. Verse 23, they cried out, and what did God do? He brought them in the safe harbor. That's your God. So, what should you be decreeing the problem? No. You should be talking the Word of God and the promises of God about everything going on in your life, but you can't do that if your medicine level is low. Look at somebody and say, You need to take a pill. Come on, tell somebody else, take that pill. Lighten in the word, discern the word, decree the word. Say, I decree the word. Decree a thing and it shall come to pass. Now, if you're trying to decree something and you're actually in fear, is that going to work? No. no, but when you've taken your medicine and your word level is high and you decree something, there's faith released out of your heart and out of your mind. That's when you see results. Number four is do the word, which means obedience. Nothing will push you out of the will of God faster than fear. I believe that Jonah could have run for a lot of reasons, but let's just be real. Jonah knew the reputation of the Assyrians and how they treated Jews and everybody else in that that territory. We know why he got on that boat. We know why he went in the opposite direction of the command of God to go to Nineveh, fear. Spirit of fear came on him and he ran. What about the one that was given one talent in the book of Matthew? Right? The first guy said, you gave me X amount of talents, and here, look what I've done. And the second guy comes back with the same kind of report with less talents. So one guy, given one talent, what does he do? He buried it, and what did the word say? He was, he was afraid, as if there was a character problem with God that's causing the problem here. No, fear shut down his obedience. James 1.25 tells us we're blessed in our doing, and not just our what? Not just our hearing. So how many believe that you can you can beat fear every time? Yes. You can't. The foundation of scriptures like Psalm one, but you need to be a person that delights in the Word. Now uh, nobody can really tell you if you do or not. Amen. It's not how many scriptures you post on Facebook or you know, how many bumper stickers you have on your car. I mean, only in your heart do you know tonight if you really delight in the Word of God. And I encourage you to be that person because that's the kind of person that gets the results in the things of God. And when somebody gets results by delighting in the Word of God, you know, don't say, well, it never works for me. This face stuff doesn't work. You know, I didn't know anybody like that. Well, maybe instead of just running your mouth and saying, I don't know anybody that ever prospered, maybe you should have been delighting in the Word of God instead of questioning everything that was coming across from the pulpit. Amen. Amen. Or maybe you should stick to the word instead of emphasizing social justice and equity. It's all fine and dandy, but there is no justice outside of the word of God. Amen. There are a lot of Christians going to be frustrated the next five, ten years because all these little sidetracks and the rabbit trails they're on are going to be completely fruitless in their lives. The word of God, though, will produce for you. Come on, say it to me. The word Word. always Always. produces if I delight in it. I derive my greatest pleasure from what? People, pastors, just don't have time to delight in the world. Are you kidding me? They'll watch an entire season of some stupid show in one night. Why would they do that? Because they delight in Grey's Anatomy. Or whatever. Amen? Hallelujah. Pastor, I can't read more than two or three verses before I fall asleep. That's because you what? You don't really delight in the word of God. Come on, let's give him a hand clap and thank him. Thank you, Father.